There was a time and place that this university was feared. My goal as the head football coach at the University of Tennessee it is to get us back to that point. All right? Let me just quote the late, great Colonel Sanders. He said, I'm too drunk to taste this chicken. What is that? That's what she said. Punched up in the end zone. It's tipped up. It's caught. It is caught. Jawan Jennings. Jawan Jennings. Good morning, afternoon, evening, brunch time, lunch time. Spring football has come and gone time. Chicago Cubs back over 500 time. NBA playoffs time. Look out world for Anthony Davis in the playoffs time. Whatever time of day it is. It's the right time for the Go Vols 24-7 podcast. West Rucker, Patrick Brown coming to you from Fort Rucker Studio here on a Saturday night. We'll probably release this one on Saturday night too. Get this out to you as quickly as possible. Why are we doing that? Well, because Tennessee just finished the Orange and White game, the annual spring football exhibition at Neyland Stadium. Uh, Sort of a one-sided affair. The team with the first-team offense and second-team defense sort of steamrolled the team with the uh, second-team offense and first-team defense, it looked like. Uh, Yeah, two things. First of all, it's a spring game, so everybody needs to, like, chillax a little bit. Yes. It's just a spring game. In the grand scheme of things, it probably doesn't mean a whole lot. Or no one's trying to show anything. Yes. Remember that Quinn Dormady lit Tennessee's spring game up last year. Tennessee's half of a spring game, I should say. Well, now he's cooking it up. Now he's, now he's cooking it up. Secondly, Anthony Davis is the best college basketball player I've seen live and in person in my six and a half years of covering college basketball. I, I've, I, I've never seen a player dominate a game as much as he did when he played Tennessee, and he didn't have to, like, score a bunch. The three that I can remember that I've seen in person that really – and we're talking about this because we're watching the – we're up here in Fort Rucker studio watching the – Pelicans try to finish off the Blazers here in their their first round matchup. That's why that's on TV right now. While we're watching that, and while we're talking about it, but in fairness, I think to be honest, the three best that I have seen probably in some order are Shaquille O'Neal and Anthony Davis and Kevin Durant. Those are probably the three. I didn't see Durant. Most dominating college basketball players that I've seen in person. And, I, and I've seen a lot of NBA games because back in high school when the Grizzlies got there, we had season tickets, I went to a bunch of games. So I've, I've seen I've seen a lot of guys. But uh, I think I think like the first Tennessee game, he was like – that was when he first started making jump shots. And I was like, uh-oh. <laughs> yeah. As soon as, soon as he starts like, extending – as soon as he starts extending the floor, it's like, uh-oh. And Durant wasn't like really a physical presence, so – it was a little bit different where Shaq just physically manhandled everyone. And people forget how great of an athlete he was in his yeah, younger days. Shaq. Just unreal how he got up and down the floor at that size. But those would be the three that would that would come to mind for me. Get ready for this segue. No longer is skinny Jared Garantano trying to be Tennessee's quarterback. There you go. Bigger Garantano is trying to be. He is a little he is a little beefier. He's he's now kind of, he, he's kind of Garantano Diesel now he he's gotten no, he's not Shaq big well no but he relatively speaking he has gotten a good bit bigger you know Pruitt Jeremy Pruitt Tennessee's first year coach has said that some players have done their job in the weight room and some need to do more of a of a job in the weight room and it looks to me like Garantano is one of those guys who has who has definitely put on weight kind of like the Corte Saps and and some other guys on the team that have really put on weight but 
if there was any controversy whatsoever, if there was any thought to Tennessee having a legitimate battle between Garantano and Will McBride, with one caveat out there that Garantano got to work with the first-team offense, whereas McBride worked with the second-team offense. Uh, let's throw that caveat out there, and then let's say that still there was no comparison today between the two. Garantano was the spring game MVP. Uh, I thought was deservedly even, so, and I thought the the no, what were the numbers twenty of thirty four for a little over two hundred and two touchdowns. Um, I thought he was fifteen of twenty seven. 15 to 27, is that what it was? For 226 yards and two touchdowns. There you go, yeah. So, And I thought he was a little bit better than the numbers suggested because one of those incompletions uh, should have been correctly called a catch by Josh Palmer down the sideline. It looked to me like he got a foot inbounds and controlled the ball. And there were also some times where, where Garantano had to throw the ball away and, and some plays where the receivers recovered pretty well, but the ball he threw gave him a chance to kind of make a play. The only thing he didn't have – uh, on the resume today was a real deep shot down the field. Uh, he wasn't able to complete any of those. But the Palmer one would have been a big play uh, if it had stood. And and I thought Garantano really helped his cause today. I, I you got to throw out there that it's just a spring game. But still, to me, Garantano looked like he's going to be the guy that Keller Christ is going to have to beat if he wants to be Tennessee starter. Yeah, I don't think Jeremy Pruitt sees it the same way. <laughs> his com- His comments were interesting after the game saying that uh, one day does not a whole spring make. And I think his suggestion there is that the separation between the two quarterbacks wasn't necessarily uh, as wide as it was today at the rest of spring. And I think that's accurate. I, I think they were pretty close in the first scrimmage. Garretton had been a little bit up and down. Um, I, I think there was more clear from what we were able to gather. There was more separation in the second scrimmage and obviously a ton today. But you know, you, you can't, you know, you have to keep this in mind when you're evaluating. Will McBride's playing behind an offensive line that had two um, walk-ons on it. Brian Garvey at center, shout-out to Brentwood Academy, and then Joe Keeler, big Joe Keeler. Big Joe Keeler. Big right Keeler. tackle. So, and granted, they're going against the second-team defense, um, but I still think at this point you take the second-team defense over the second-team offense. Up front, uh, yes. Up front, yes. So, um, you know, they had no running game to speak of. I think only 14 yards total. For, for that offense, uh, I think Trey Coleman only had 13 yards. You know, give McBride, Ty and, Chandler. And, Coleman, and Coleman, Coleman was frustrated, but he didn't really have anything to work with. No, and, and you know, give give that offense Ty Chandler, Tim Jordan, they probably would have more yards. So um, I, I think you're right, though, and I think you said it right. This this battle, it there's, I just I don't see it coming down to anything other than Chris versus Garantano. I don't see any other way it ends up like that. I think um, – and we haven't seen Chris in person, so we don't know what it looks like when he's running around there in helmets and shorts and throwing the ball, as we've seen Garantano countless times. We know Garantano has arm talent. We know he can throw the ball. And I think he threw the ball really well on Saturday. I think he um, there were some tight windows that he really had to fit the ball into where his guys were covered pretty good, and he did. He made some key throws on third down, um, some nice throws where he stepped up into the pocket and hit a guy over the middle, whether it be Brandon Johnson or Josh Palmer. So. I think there was a lot to like about his performance today, and, and that's always been the knock on Garantano is can he do it when a defense is out in front of him he has to read a defense. And you know, today he was getting a vanilla defense, so it w- he wasn't getting a defense that was trying to – you know, had a game plan to stop him and you know mix, mix up coverages and bring blitzes and all that stuff. But um, I think it's good for him, first of all, because he gets to go in the summer uh, with some confidence. And, you know, we saw we saw Quentin Dormady have, have a good spring game last year, and, I mean, it, it didn't – you know, it didn't end up – being false, I mean, he, he did win the job. 
but you know, I, I thought, didn't play that well once yeah, he got to the season. I, I thought Garantano looked pretty comfortable in the pocket too, and it's different when you actually know you're going to get hit, and when you're not. I mean, the worst they can do is tag him, except for the one time they tried to run a reverse. And Kyle Phillips <laughs> and hit Kyle, him in the face. Kyle Phillips <laughs> lit him up like a Christmas tree. But you know, other than that, I I, I thought that. You know, Garantano, to me, looked like a guy who was pretty confident when he was in the pocket. He was a guy who, you know, it just looked to me like he he was going through his progressions. He was being pretty comfortable. There were a couple times where you clearly could see that he was going towards his his second read and and doing some some things. And we've said that before with Josh Dobbs, too. The, The older that you get, the more experience that you get, the more accustomed you are to being able to see just how fast the game is, just how fast it moves, and just how quickly you have to make decisions and get the ball where it needs to be. And there's a lot to talk about from this game today and from the reaction afterward, but I thought the most important thing to me in terms of on the field was was Garantano look pretty good. And that that does it mean everything? No. But does it mean something? Sure, I think it does. Yeah, and, and you know, I think Tennessee might have some – there's some potential here with this wide receiver core, at least the top four guys. Yeah, there is. Because um, it looked like they've got some potential guys that can go make plays for you if you give them a chance. Um, obviously, we saw last year Marcos Callaway. He's a guy that you can throw it up and let him go get it. Josh Palmer's a guy that um, – he was a freshman last year. He just uh, – he got a lot of targets, done a lot of production. Uh, I don't know what his numbers were today. I think he got I think a lot at of one targets, time I did but, start calling him the human incompletion because it seemed like everything that went his way for whatever reason was not yeah, something would go wrong. Like the, yeah, like the play that like epitomized his freshman year was against Georgia when they're already down what seventeen nothing or something like that, and uh, they throw it to him and and it bounces off his hands and and right for a pick and then Georgia scores right after that. That was sort of you know that almost like epitomized his season. Yeah, that moment. Um, but he's a guy again that is big. You know, he, he's big and physical. I mean, he looks. I think Garantano has even said in the past that he looks like an NFL receiver. Yeah, physically he's um, built like. And one. I think, and I think Garantano trusts Palmer. I think he likes Palmer. I think he likes throwing the ball. And then you got steady guy over the middle. Bob Shoup would call him Steady Eddie. Yeah. Brandon Johnson going over the middle. So uh, out of the slot, you add Juwan Jennings to that group. That's that's a that's a foursome that that can get some you know some stuff done for you if you know the offensive line can hold up enough and if Jarrett Garantano can give those guys a chance and um if they can scheme those guys open even better and i thought that you know let's let's not forget that you know if that if the officials had had correctly called that catch for Palmer he would, over 100 yards. he would have been over 100 yards uh, for the day which he got a lot of targets but still that would have been four catches for about a buck 10 or so that would have been that would have been a nice day and and you mentioned the top guys I still like the guys toward the bottom of Tennessee's sort of main wide receiver group. I like the potential the, there. Latrell Williams had a nice play on his touchdown, caught it, found open space, hit it hard. He looked, he looked quick on that he, one. He, he, he's always been slippery. If he, if he can stay healthy, he's got some quickness to him and the ability to, to do a lot of things. And I, I thought that not just that, I thought Jordan Murphy had some times today where he looked pretty good. I really like his ball skills. I really like the way he goes up and plucks the ball out of the air. Uh, he's also got some quickness to him. And we didn't see much from Jacquez Jones today, but he's a guy who throughout spring has done some pretty decent things. So I, I thought there was a lot to like with that group. Uh, let's not forget that a lot of these guys were were either big-time prospects or high-upside prospects, Guy who's, guys like Palmer who could develop into something really nice. And, you know, maybe – A lot get, of young guys, too. Yeah, maybe give some credit to Yag Johnson, those guys – I thought have the I feel better about Tennessee's wide receiver group 
exiting spring camp than I did going into it. And that's the best you can hope for is that you, you leave spring feeling better about a position group than you thought you thought going into it. How do you feel about the defense coming on spring? That's a great question. And, and, you know, let's throw out again, a couple caveats. One, this is just a spring game Two, um, when both sides are so vanilla, sometimes that's not always great for the defense because they, they can't mix it up. They can't bring all the pressures they want to because, let's be honest, they don't want to put that stuff on tape. Why would they? Uh, they don't want West Virginia to know their pressure packages. They don't, you know, and, and, and why are you going to be blitzing your quarterback too much in a spring game when basically what you're trying to see is can the offensive line block a regular defense and can the wide receivers go make plays uh, against defensive backs? That's what you want to see. And so throwing all that out there, uh, and the fact that, you know, you, Batuli wasn't out there, Kirkland wasn't out there. I did think Corte Sapp had a couple of nice moments today. He did have a, a team-high 11 tackles and, and did some decent things. And I thought Baylor Buchanan had a couple of nice plays on the perimeter. Um, I, I thought, you know, Phillips and, and Combo did a pretty decent job getting pressure. Didn't see much from Taylor. But overall, not great for the defense because I don't think – this Tennessee offense is going to be putting up 30 points on a lot of people. So giving up 34 points is is not a good thing, but I'm not going to say it's the end of the world. Yeah, but I think it highlights some of the concerns. Oh, absolutely uh, it does. And just like, I mean, you saw flashes of it. You saw a few times where Shai Tuttle got in the backfield and, and you know, disrupted the pocket. You saw a few times where, you know, I think Kyle Phillips had a sack. Forced to fumble too, Tuttle did. Yeah, you saw a few times where, you know, Conway was given Drew Richmond more than he could handle off the edge. Um, and then you see in the secondary, you know, they gave up some plays. You know, Bayman Buchanan had a couple of 50-50 balls completed on, and that was something that, you know, two years ago, Tennessee's cornerbacks could not stop a 50-50 ball. Yes. I mean, not even <laughs> – if you it's, just threw it up. It seemed like they didn't compete for the ball. It, it, well, it's not even that. It just seems like if, if the opposing offense decided, hey, we're just going to throw it up to our guy, either he's going to catch it or he's going to be pass interference. Yep. Um, and, you know, I think – yeah, he bounced back and had a. I think he had a pass breakup. Marco Osborne broke up a couple of passes. You know, probably not a good day for Sean Schamberger. He's a guy that Wes, I know you referenced referenced a few times as needed to have a good somebody spring. that they were hoping to see more from. I think is is a good way to put it. This spring, he gets a, a dumb late hit penalty yep. and gets beat on a third down. Uh, gives up inside leverage and uh, lets Brandon Johnson get position on him and make a third down conversion catch. And um, yeah, and you just you know again if you're if you're Tennessee's defense, they've not been good the past two years, and I guess we're about to find out if that was coaching or if that was just, you know, Jimmy's and Joe's. Would have, been, would have been a lot of recruiting misses to make that happen, though, yeah, because and there, were some, there were some yeah. tired guys on that side of the and ball. And there really are. And, and you've got a great player in Warrior. And now you've got a staff that you hope can scheme them to success and put them in situations where, you know, they make plays because they scheme up a free blitzer or they scheme up the right coverage that confuses the quarterback and generates turnovers. That's This defense is probably going to have to be a defense that is good in the red zone and forces turnovers. I don't think they're just going to go out there and force three and outs every time. And yeah. so that's what they're going to have to be because I think, you know, and, and if they have to find a way to scheme where they don't give up big plays and just try to keep everything in front of them, that's not what, that's not what they want to do, especially on the perimeter. They don't want to sit back and play with the cushion. But, uh, I mean – yeah, it's, it's it's going to be interesting to see how they kind of balance that. Yeah, Pruitt likes uh, the 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 route one kind of. He likes to come after you, and he 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 likes to to cause turnovers. He likes to create pressure. He doesn't like an offense to ever be comfortable. And I, I don't know. And again, we did not see a lot of the pressure packages today. 
there, there's going to be more in that. There, there's going to be a lot more that, that you're going to see moving forward. And you're also going to see, you know, guys like Kirkland and Batuli out there helping in the mix. And, you know, you're going to see a little bit, maybe some of those signees can come in and help and, and do some things. They, they've got some, some pretty decent players there, but they're going to have to, because if they go, if they play the way Pruitt wants to play, you're going to have to man up on the outside and you're going to have to be able to, you know, compete for 50-50 balls, knock them down, make plays. Because uh, I, I think what concerns me is that the way this team wants to, you know, this staff wants to play defense, I don't know how it fits with what they've got now. But you're trying to set a tone. You're trying to show them how it's going to be. And I think you're, you're going to see some mistakes because that's the way that they're doing things. Yeah, and, and you know, I touched on the cornerbacks having some ups and downs, and that's been the case all spring. And uh, I think Tennessee's search for answers there has been clear all summer. They moved three guys, two from offense and one from safety down there to cut, sort of address that problem. And, frankly, they pretty much have who they have at this point. Now, they we should mention that they have a graduate transfer cornerback on campus this weekend uh, in Texas A&M's Nick Harvey, who's been to Reading Ryan's story here. Uh, where has he been? He's taking visits to South Carolina and Auburn. He's also been to Arizona, so he's making the rounds trying to see what's the best fit for him. You know how I knew Tennessee was – or or there was a connection there? Honestly, that kid started following me on Twitter, so I looked up and I was like, why is that kid following Humble me? Humble brag. No, no, no. What I'm saying is <laughs> that's – sometimes you can see when a, when a prospect does that, you're like, I wonder why he's following me now. Oh, okay. I bet Tennessee's looking at him. You know, and that's – because they've put out an APB there. They're yeah. trying to get anyone they can get. Yeah, I mean, they, they went after a bunch of top-rated high school guys, didn't pan out. They were disappointed in that, and so they've tried. with uh, This is Harvey's their second grad transfer. He's uh, They hosted Terrence Alexander, I think is his name, from Stanford. Uh, he wound up – he was from New Orleans, I think, and he's he committed to LSU. He's going to play LSU. Uh, Harvey's a guy that played reading Ryan's story here. Uh, was a full-time starter in 2016 uh, and then missed last season after tearing his ACL. During the offseason. So. Yeah, wasn't he a former track guy or something, too? There was something else. He to that, might, he could, might have been. Um, but, I mean. He's pretty fast, I think. I mean, if you're Pruitt and he's here and he's watching this game, he's like, yep, we could use some help at cornerback. I don't know if you could tell. Yeah, basically what they're trying to do at cornerback is they are throwing every single thing they can into the mix. They're just they're hoping that eventually they just keep throwing bodies at it and eventually something sticks. That's sort of what they seem to be doing. And you know what? Um, I said this in the last podcast, one man's creativity is another man's desperation, or one man's desperation is another man's creativity, depending on which way you look at it. And they're trying everything they can to get an answer there because it's just a tough situation because they they want to play a certain way, and I don't know if they've got the horses to do that. And they don't we, – we have no idea if they have – what kind of room they have or if they're taking spots away from next year to get some of these guys. Um, but Harvey was a guy that was a former top 100 recruit, so – He's got some natural talent. But, yeah, I mean, I, this defense, it, it's been really odd because publicly Prude has kind of talked him down. You know, we, we hear kind of behind the scenes that, you know, the defense was, you know, sort of edging the past couple yeah. of scrimmages. And then you hear Prude come out and say, offense made a few more plays and defensive, you know, he, he talks about the offense for like a minute and then says like three sentences about the defense. And I just chalk, I just chalk that up to him having an absurdly high level of, or a absurdly high standard for defense because he's been around and, and coordinated some of the elite defenses uh, in college football. And he's had at his disposal 
just ridiculous talent at Florida State, Georgia, and, and Alabama. And yeah, Tennessee's got some talent at defense, but they don't have that. No, they don't. And and this will th- this is actually a pretty well. It would be a good segue, but we're going to talk about this later because Pruitt's comments after the game I think surprised some people. But uh, I think what I'm going to say then is sort of the same thing I'll say now. There's a certain standard and a certain thing he's used to seeing, and right now he's not seeing it, and I think that is a huge adjustment for him. And that I is think a good it, segue. I think it frustrates the ever-living snot out of him, to be honest with you, because we'll wrap this up in a little bit by talking about who really helped their cause today, um, talk about the Spring Award winners, a lot of those other things. But I think a lot's going to be made, and understandably so, about Pruitt's comments after the game, saying that he thought the fans were a lot like his team and that there were a lot of people who showed up and did a great job and, you know, good for them. They were there and he they're supporting them and that's good. And then there were some who couldn't make it but for understandable reasons. And so that's sort of akin to the players who were injured and couldn't play. And then there was a group of people who weren't there and he said, quite frankly, should have been there and they got some work to do there. So – it's fascinating to me because the announced attendance, while it was a little bit exaggerated, I'm quite certain of this, it was listed at a little bit, just a little bit more than 65,000, 65,000 and change. That would have been sixth, I think at sixth nationally, is that what it is? Something like that. And so that's not bad. Really, it's not. And it's only 9,000 or so less than Alabama had at theirs. But there were five, four or five teams who had a better attendance at their spring games, and two of those teams just were playing for the national championship. So let's... Let's not let's not maybe make too much of this, but I, I think it was surprising, and, and and I think the reason for this, Patrick, well, tell tell me what you think about it first, and then I'll I'll go into my kind of spiel. Well, I don't I don't know that this was Pruitt calling out the fans. I agree, um, and and I think uh, I use I used a term in our text message thread that I probably can't use on the podcast. You're, you're not going to no, go ahead. Tennessee fans are having going to have to get used to a coach. That's not going to sugarcoat anything anymore. And he's not going to come out and say, um, l- let me put it this way. He's, he's not going to go out and, and urinate on you and say that it's raining. Yes. <laughs> put it that way. Yes. Um, he's not going to try to pump sunshine at any chance he could get. Uh, most coaches would have turned 65,000 for a spring game in, into a positive. Uh, I'm not even sure that he's really that upset at the fans. I think he's just upset in general at his team. Yeah, I think... Um, and the, and I, I don't, you know, we're talking about spring game attendance. Yeah, I mean, I'm looking here. When you go and you look at Pruitt's It's just like, bio, I mean... Let, let, let's, let's, let's look at where he's been in the past decade. And exactly, because this leads to my point here. Th- this is a guy who, from 2007... We, we should point out that he said the vol walk was spectacular. Yeah, he did. We did say that. So he, he, he gave... Again, I think people that are trying to turn this into a thing are just the people that turn stuff into things, Yeah, frankly. Yeah, he, he became a full-time coach at Alabama in 2010. He worked there in, in player development for a couple of years. But since 2010, here's his track record. 2010 to 2012, defensive backs coach at Alabama. 2013, defensive coordinator and defensive backs coach at Florida State. 2014 and 15, Georgia defensive coordinator, defensive backs coach. 2016 and 17, Alabama defensive coordinator, inside linebackers coach. So, so let's let's look at this. Since 2010, with only one exception, he has coached on a team 
that going into the season was a legitimate contender for the national championship. He has seen for the past eight years or seven years college football played at the very highest level. There is a standard that he is used to seeing. You just look at the All-Americans he's coached. Look at the guys he's recruited. Look at, you know, in Alabama, it's like you don't even see a light bulb out ever anywhere in the complex. That's how everything is a machine down there. And the, the, the players are excellent. Uh, it seems like the, the administration and the athletic department are on the same page. And it seems like everything there is, by and large, the way that you want it to be. And it, it was the same at Georgia. That team was competing for East Championships. Florida State, obviously, they won the national championship the one year he was there. This is a guy who has only seen football at its peak for most of the past decade. And when he got here and saw this, I think it's just human nature for that to be frustrating. You know, it's like if you've driven these really nice cars and then someone gives you the keys, like you get a rental car somewhere and it's like you wanted a luxury car and you got like not like not 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 like a smart car, but like a, you know, a, a small, small car. And you're trying to drive this thing around and you're used to being in these big sports cars and SUVs. And it's frustrating this thing won't do what the other teams could do yet. And while it's his job to make that better, I think we have to understand that there's a reason why coming out on National Signing Day, he was disappointed or he looked a little frustrated because Tennessee didn't close the way that he was used to closing at Alabama, Georgia, Florida State. So they didn't get all the guys they wanted, and that was frustrating for him. Then you go to the spring game, and he's used to seeing these spring games with all these All-Americans out there, all these future first-round picks out there. And then he sees what he sees in this spring game. and Where he says that players, quote, flat-out quit. Yes, where he said some players flat-out quit. I think this is a guy who came in, not arrogantly, but just kind of confidently and matter-of-factly, he walked in here and he said, you know what? This sucks. This needs to stop sucking. And quite frankly, I have zero problem with that. After everything that's happened the past five years, I think this is a welcome change. This is a guy who was coming in. I think when when Butch Jones and his staff came in, they thought they knew what a championship team would look like because they'd played in some big games. They played in Orange Bolts, you know, whatever, Cincinnati. They, They did some nice things. They'd seen some nice things. But they had not seen and coached on a team like the one that Jeremy Pruitt and a lot of the staff has come from. He knows exactly what a championship program looks like behind the scenes. And every day that Tennessee does not get to that level, he's going to be frustrated. And I think that's fine. You just maybe got to be more careful how you say some things because people could misconstrue it. But I don't think he cares. And I kind of like it. Yeah, I mean, clearly he was challenging his team after Saturday's game. And clearly he was sort of challenging the fan base, too, by saying people that show up that didn't have a legitimate reason, why weren't you there? And he said, and he and Philip Fulmer have said a few times now that, you know, it takes everybody, it takes a village. you got to have everybody pulling in the same direction. And, and we should point out here that friend of the program, Jason Swain. Yes. Former Tennessee receiver. FOP. Former morning radio show co-host with, with you, Wes. That's true. Uh, kind of tw- like my, my brother from a darker mother. That's, tw- what, that's what Jason Swain is. Tweeted a little bit earlier this evening, this being Saturday, uh, that Pruitt challenged a bunch of Tennessee lettermen last night, too, and I guess a fun, in an event that they had. 
Um, so he's he's trying to get everyone going in the same direction. And again, some people aren't going to like that he sort of called out the fan base. Again, I don't think he called it out. Um, and, and Tennessee fans have proven again and again and again that they are going. You know, they are loyal. They are relentlessly loyal. Yes. Um, and I, and I understand why some of them are hesitant, given everything that's gone on. You've given so much. You keep giving so much, and then you get back a, a nice turd on a plate. Yeah, like remember, remember how the excited they were. They, they, they were so excited about Dooley in the orange pants. They were so excited about Butch and the optimism and the recruiting classes. They everybody bought all in a hundred percent to to Kiffin for the most part at yeah. first. They, they have gone to the mat time and time again, and they have been incredibly resilient in, in, and, as a fan base. And even last year when they went four and eight, it was there was some optimism. It was like, all right, this guy didn't work out. I think they were probably after the the way that the 2016 season ended with the losses to South Carolina and Vanderbilt. When Butch didn't win the East with that team that he had, and I know they had a bunch of injuries, whatever. Uh, I think a lot of people were resigned to the fact that what happened last year might happen. Not necessarily going four and eight, but that Butch might be gone. And so when Butch was gone, that he had built a house I'm of not, cards I'm, and was going to collapse. I'm not saying they were rejoicing in the streets, but I'm I'm saying they're like, all right, we're gonna get we're gonna get a new coach. We'll be fine. We've got some talent. We've got more talent in the four and eight, all this stuff. And then I think the coaching search just drained a lot of people. Um, and fairly so, I think. I mean, it drained, I saw, it drained I, us. I saw a handful <laughs> of fans who had the who wore the I survived the Tennessee coaching search. I didn't uh, see any of today. I saw a handful of them. They made me laugh every time. Um, but yeah, I just, and, you know, they're going to show up in the fall, whether it's Jeremy Pruitt coaching, whether it's me coaching, whether it's you coaching. They probably wouldn't have shown up if they had kept Butch, but that's. Yes, I think I think that thing had run its um, course. That ship had sailed. But th- again, and just you know, fast forwarding this offseason, I mean, I can't. We we've seen almost daily reminders that it's a new time. Like things have changed. You're is going to be a totally different approach. And I think honestly, Tennessee fans got spoiled because it was Butch Jones. But like they got used to a certain way that things were done. Yeah, and it's like and it's, now it's going to be like the complete opposite. Yeah, it, it's hard for me. If you're the kind of person who gets annoyed because Butch is trying to sit there and tell you that something's great when it's not, and then you turn around and also get a little bit upset when Pruitt says that something isn't good enough, you're probably just a person who's never going to be happy. Let's be honest. Those, those people are miserable, and there's nothing that can be done to make them less miserable. It, it's like you got to pick one. you got to be okay with one and not okay with the other. You're either a guy who wants to hear only the good news and the spin and the the frank stuff kind of turns you off, or you got to be someone who likes to be told completely the truth, whether it's good or not, and you don't want somebody to sell you something that you don't want or need. You got to be one of the two. And I always think that, I mean, this is just how I was raised. I appreciate the way Pruitt just comes out. He might not answer every question. He might not tell you what he knows, but when he tells you something, you can believe that it's true, and you can believe that it's what he, or as he perceives it as true. I, I think that that's important because while I think the tone maybe could have been a little better today, I, I, I didn't really think much of it because I think this is a guy who just says, this is what it's going to take to win, and if you don't like it, there's the door. Yeah, And that's why you pay him the money to come in, and if he does it, great. If not, well, he'll find somebody else. Yeah, and again, I just, you know, he's he's just goes about it in such a different way. I mean, and not to say that, you know, we don't need to get back into a comparison of, of, of this coach and the last coach, but it's just it's going to be different. Um, and if you're a Tennessee fan, I think this is the way you might want to look at it. 
it's different from what it was, but what it was got you to four and eight last year, got you to your worst season in your program's history. And it's not like you were four and eight with, you know, a bunch of close losses. You were four and eight with five of your eight SEC losses were by 18 points or more. And, and I mean, you got run out of the stadium by Vanderbilt at the end of the year. And, and you were, and if you're a player, you were playing in a program where it was hard for you to always believe that what your coach was telling yeah. you was true because yeah. there were, because, you know, and again, we're not going to harp on this too much, but the but but Butch obfuscated and flat out lied so many times that you did not know, as a player even, whether what you were getting was real or not. And that's what leads to things like Jawan Jennings doing what he did. It doesn't make it right, but I understand the frustration. And now you've got a guy who's going to tell you what he thinks. And if he thinks you're not good enough, he's going to tell you, I don't think you're good enough. And he's going to, what's the word he kept using, Pat? Confront Confront, yes. I'm about to write that story. I should probably have known. <laughs> oh no, I was just I was I thought I thought I was teeny. I mean, yeah, you got a guy that's gonna come out and after a spring game, and spring games are supposed to be, I don't want to say relaxed events, but like is Pruitt maybe the first coach in history that came out and was mad after a spring game? He might be. I mean, I'm sure, you know. I think I said I this mean, on Facebook he Live. He came out and said that like we had players that quit out there. Mm-hmm. And basically said, we have some guys that need to reassess themselves. And if they don't want to be a part of this, there's the door. I mean, you, you just don't, you know. Yeah, I, I don't. I don't. I that's think not like we're not, you know, that's not something that like happens with any regularity. And I don't follow everybody spring post game spring press conferences. But I feel like I, if this would have happened a bunch of times before, I would have known about it. Yeah, it, it seemed to me like and, and again, I don't want to talk out of both sides of my mouth here. I, I want to say this the right way or what I'm what I'm trying to think here or what I'm trying to say, is that I don't think anything with Pruitt is really scripted, but I do think he was making a concerted effort to make sure that this team and these players left spring practice knowing they are not good enough to compete right now. Yes. And I think he wanted everything in his tone, just like signing day. I think he wants these players on edge. I think he wants these players understanding. And he flat out said, there are 14 new guys coming in here in a couple weeks. In a couple of weeks, a lot of the best players on this team will be healthy, and they have not been able to compete, and they'll be full go now. And you know what? If you're a guy who's not going to compete and you're not going to give me what I want, you're going to sit there and watch other guys do it because we're, we're, we're not waiting on you. And I think that he just – again, I don't, I don't want to say that's scripted because I, I think he's a pretty authentic guy, but I think he wanted everyone to know. He wanted to make sure that this wasn't one of those lovey-dovey – Everything was great this spring. He didn't want his players <laughs> thinking that. He wants his guys no thinking that. No coddling guys. was yeah. the word that one of our, our posters used on, on our message yes. board. He's telling these guys, right now, if you go out there and play against a top team, you're going to get your tail kicked. Yeah. And if you want to get better, then this is the right place for you. If you don't, there's the door. Yeah, and, you know, he was asked, the first question he, he was asked was, you know, what do you, how do you handle this situation? He's like, you got to confront them. You got to be honest about it. And, and we've heard this coaching staff use a couple times, you know, in the context of if a player is not playing up to what the coaching staff thinks they can be, they're going to be confronted about it. Yep. And I'm sure there's going to be honesty about it. And mm-hmm. um, I think one of the more interesting, uh, talking about Fulmer, uh, Pruitt was saying that, you know, if you're not competing and if you're not playing hard and not playing with effort, your film isn't going to show it. Like the film don't lie. I was typing that those quotes out and I was thinking to myself about, how it used to be that the ball don't lie. Well, now the film don't lie. Yep. Um, shout, the, out to, the, shout out to Rasheed Wallace. and Or Trooper Taylor and the eye in the sky don't lie. That too. Um, 
this is Pruitt's direct quote. Are we going to play the audio, or should I just read this? Um, you know what? We can probably... I'll go ahead and drop the audio in here, and I'll let everyone listen to it, and then we will come back and discuss it. Here's Jeremy Pruitt talking about Tennessee's, uh, what do you want to say, uh, lack of performance from some players. You know, the big thing out there today to me is you see some guys competing pretty hard. They may not be doing things perfect, um, but they're headed in the right direction. You know, it's something you can build off of. Um, and then I saw a couple of guys out there today just flat out quit. You can call it what you want to. I'm going to say they quit because that's what I saw. Uh, you know, so you can obviously you look at the stat sheets. One team rushes for 134 yards and one team rushes for 14 yards. So is one team that much better than the other one? I don't think so. I've watched them practice for 14 days. Is one team that much worse than the other one? No. But there was some guys that went out there and competed and tried to do the best of their abilities, and we had some guys that, you know, that ain't what they did. So you can look at it all the way down, you know, total yardage, uh, third down conversions, you know. So um, after 15 days, to me, for some of the guys, that's disappointing, very disappointing. I mean, uh, you got – but it probably tells you who they are. Probably is a good indication of who they are. So um, you're going to put 14 days into it and – some guys are not going to compete. Don't say much for them. Um, some guys kind of rose to the occasion today, and so that's a good thing. So uh, we got to we got to figure out where we're at with some of these guys. And the good thing is, is in a couple of weeks we'll have a bunch of guys that aren't on the injury report no more. We'll have 14 new guys here, and maybe more. Um, so some of these guys that don't want to do it and don't want to do it right all the time, then. They'll just be watching. No, Rick, what's your approach with those guys who you say didn't live up to your expectations today? Confront them. Confront them. You know, there's nothing any better than peer pressure. You know, so, you know, it, it's easy to stand out there and with your chest stuck out and, you know, pretend you're somebody that you're not. You know, it's easy to do, but the film don't lie. You know, when the ball's turned over, and a guy turns it down, you don't, you know, and we all know what turning it down is. You go hit somebody and you squat your feet, you duck your head, you don't run through them. That's turning it down. Guys that do that, film don't lie. Guys that don't compete, don't hustle, film don't lie. So we'll see that and we'll see if, you know, eventually around here when we have things the way we want it, I won't have to police them anymore. They'll police themselves because there'll be folks that are so vested in the program. Uh, that's paid the price, that they're not going to let any of their teammates, roommates, or whoever let them down. So they'll confront them. But until then, I'll be the one that does all the confronting. There it was. I mean, that, that that's pretty frank. That's the guy coming out and saying, this isn't good enough. Yeah, I mean, you know, when a coach takes over, you always talk about, you know, how, how you know, recruiting, how many recruiting classes is it going to take to get the get the talent back up? Here, this is a situation, and, and Pruitt said it himself, when we get things the way we want it, I'm not going to have to police them anymore. I'm not going to have to be the guy that tells them, yep. get going, let's go. 
he's going to have his own, you know, he's going to have players that do that. He's going to have players uh, that are going to keep these guys in line and aren't going to accept anything less than a championship standard. The challenge is, is that you're coming, you know, this is a team that's coming off a four and eight season, didn't win an SEC game. And a lot of the players that are going to be playing big roles on this team. Not You look at it, not many of them were really playing all that much when Tennessee was last in contention for a, t- a championship of any kind yep. in 2016. I mean, this, this 100% the, right. 2018, the 2018 team and 2016 team are going to look vastly different if you go down the rosters. Um, now, a lot of guys were there, but they maybe weren't playing a lot. Maybe they were injured, whatever. Um, and so that's going to take time. And that's that's the other part of this transition that can't be overlooked is that you're, again – this is the latest guy that's going to try to turn Tennessee from, I don't want to say a losing mentality, but Tennessee's got a long way to go. Before Definitely not can, a championship mentality. I mean, Tennessee can't be thinking about winning the East this year. They've got to be thinking about beating Vanderbilt Kentucky and getting to a bowl game. Get, get back I above mean, South Carolina. Yeah, I mean, get, they, can't, they can't be, you know, they can't have their crosshairs on Alabama and Georgia and competing with those teams because they're just not there yet in terms of mentality and in terms of talent. So, uh, you know, it's, it's going to – you know, Tennessee fans don't want to hear this, but it's not going to be an easy transition, and uh, it's probably not going to be an overnight one either. Well, it's like if you go right into Mike Tyson's punch out and you go right for Mike Tyson at first, you're probably going to lose. You're going to get you're going to get crushed. If you ever played a video game, you have to run around, do a bunch of other stuff. You have to play yep. with the setting on like uh, like not beginner, but the next one up. You know, basically, yeah. You have you have to run around, and then and, you go to legendary, and you have to like enhance your 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 game. You have to get better. You have to get like. You know, if you're playing like one of those war games, you got to walk around, you got to get better armor, you got to get better weapons, and then you can go take on the big guy. That is where Tennessee is right now. It's starting the game. No one wants to hear that, but but that's, guys, first time this team ever lost eight games, ever, in its program's history. First time this team went winless in SEC play in history. It's a top 10 all-time program in terms of wins, but it is not a top 10 program right now. It's not. Could it be there? Sure. I believe that it could. I still believe that it could, especially with the way Nashville's growing now. And, you know, you, you see the, the population shift and you see some of the in-state talent and you see the facilities in Tennessee. If you do this job right, you can still win at a very, very high level. You can. I still believe that. But you have work to do. And if you're Tennessee right now, you need to focus on let's just get back off the bottom. And then let's go from there. Now, with that said, Philip Fulmer's quote from earlier this week when we talked to him about his contract extension was that just being better than you were last year isn't always going to be good enough. It's after a certain period of time you need to be back near the top at some point if you're a place like Tennessee. And Fulmer seemed to suggest, he said, you know, get a couple recruiting classes in here and then let's see where things are. Basically saying, okay, you're three or so, let's see where this thing is. But you're, you're going to have to deal with some growing pains. You're going to have to try like hell to get to a bowl game this year, if you can, and then go from there. I think that's where people need to set their, set their sights. Pruitt is a very, very competitive guy. Yes. Uh, and you, you referenced him a couple, a couple times today in various, through, you know, in various platforms, whatever. Uh, because that, we're across the media spectrum. Yes, like here, Facebook Live, whatever. Um, that I'm sure you'll mention in your column. Tease. That's a tease in what we call in the business. Teaser. Us big J journalists is what we call. Capital J um, journalists. But the, you know, Pruitt was really kind of bland and kind of looked like he was just mad at everything. 
publicly on signing day. He was even more upset behind the scenes privately. Yes. And I wonder he, – he apparently was pretty heated coming off the field today in, in, in the post-game interview with the Vol Network. He was still not mincing his words in, in post-game. I imagine what he's uh, – kind of, you know, what he was behind the scenes after today. Yeah, that was some – people were getting, you know, getting some dip spit in your eye, like <laughs> anger right there is, is what's I mean, peeling yeah. paint, I would imagine. Yeah, and so, I mean, he's – you know, this guy lives, eats, and breathes football. Like that's he's a ball coach to his core, um, and you know he's not going to settle for anything less than what he's used to, and what he's become used to from where he's coached is being the best. And not just that; I mean, he was at you know Hoover High School before that, and that's always one of the best programs in the country. I mean, well, yeah, he's, I mean, been, that's what he's I mean. been he's been a winner at every step along the way, really. So that's why I think you know what people maybe need to suck it up and listen to him. I think, like I said before, I mean, you, you, this is the opposite of what you had. What you had got you four and eight. Let's try this again. If this doesn't work, maybe it's just all broken. Before we get, <laughs> before we get out of here, we will mention, uh, as we should, that the uh, Tennessee. In our previous podcast, we mentioned that a lot of the spring awards were going to be going away. That's why I gave them that Sarah McLaughlin tribute on their way. They only out had the door. two this year. Yeah, there were there were two. They kept the two awards that really matter, which are the Andy Spiva Award for Most Improved Defensive Player and the Harvey Robinson Award for Most Improved Offensive Player throughout the spring. And those awards went to Kyle Phillips on defense and Eli Wolf on defense. So, I mean, on offense. So the, those were, I think, fitting winners. I thought maybe Corte Sapp had a chance to win the defensive one, but certainly there's nothing wrong with giving it to Phillips. I mean, it, Pruitt loves the kid, and honestly, he's a hard kid to not love. So... Uh, good for him. And, and Eli Wolf, I think I've been a – I'm not going to toot the horn on this, but I've been on this wagon for three years now. I think this kid can play uh, even if he – I'm not sure if he's a wide receiver or tight end really, but he's not maybe the the cut from cloth tight end that you'd want for this offense. But I think he can still do some things, and I think if you're trying to get your best pass catchers out there – I think he's a guy who gives you a chance to, to do some things. I think he's a good football player. Yeah, Wolf was a little bit of a surprise to me because it wasn't, what, two weeks ago that Pruitt was saying, we don't want our tight ends running pass patterns. We have receivers to do that. We need wide receivers that can block, and you have Wolf, who's a guy that, um, as his older brother Ethan put it, puts in more work than I ever did and gains four pounds. Yeah. I mean, it's just hard for him to put on weight for whatever it is and maintain it. So, um, But, you know, I, I think today show that, you know, They've got a couple pieces that they can work with. Mm-hmm. Uh, when you I look at Wolf, um, and when you look at Austin Poper, they were lining up at fullback. Wes was had to fan him off in the press box. He was so excited to see a fullback back in Tennessee's offense, see some eye formation down at the one-yard line. You know, They what? even threw it to him. It's almost like if your offensive line's not great and you want to build an <laughs> offense around running the football, it might make sense to give them an extra blocker to do that. Just a thought. I don't know. Call me crazy. And then, you know, a tight end, they've got Dominic Wood Anderson coming in there to be that sort of all-around guy that they want. Um, but, yeah, I mean, good for him. I mean, he's I, a guy that, you know, we – you can't – he keeps coming, so you got you to gotta keep keep him in mind. Yeah, I mean, you know, it's like when, you know, when Saban got to Alabama, they had some guys that were kind of mismatched fit for the scheme, but Saban kind of grew to like him because he could rely on him to do some things that, that – he found a way for them to be successful. Uh, when Bruce Pearl got to Tennessee, a lot of the he, his best team, his best teams probably were were some of the teams that he didn't recruit. Some a lot of the guys that they, they were just the guys that he inherited, and they he found a way 
to make them successful. And sometimes you you can't just you can't ram a square peg through a round hole. Sometimes you got to use what you got. And I think the counterpoint Wolves, one of those guys. Uh, counterpoint. Go back and look at that 2007 Alabama team. They had some they had some guys on that team that went on to play in the NFL. Oh no, they had a few really they had uh, a few then, really good and then players. Bruce had a future NBA point guard. I think CJ Watson might still be in the NBA actually. Yeah, well, and, and then and you had you had one of the best all time shooters in SEC history, and another one of the top ten shooters in SEC history, and Jawan Smith on the other side. I mean, Wani. you had two great shooters on just, each side. So yeah, I mean, you had some things, but what I guess my point here is that because a guy doesn't fit exactly what you want, I mean, Pruitt said this before that sometimes when he was a high school coach, you had a two hundred and fifty pound defensive tackle, and sometimes you had a hundred eighty five pound defensive tackle, and you had to find a way to make it work. And I think Wolf's one of those guys who. Even the running back position can kind of fit that too. Yeah, because none of these guys are really the, the 230 pound guys that he wants. Yeah, but he found a way to make it work. Last thing, Patrick, who uh, who helped their cause? With the caveat that this is a spring game and doesn't matter everything, but who are some guys do you think helped their cause in this game today? Um, uh, my defense. I'll go one one on each side of the ball. Is that cool? Uh, I'll go with my defensive guys. Theo Jackson had a big interception early in the game. Yep. Looked good on the return. Um, this defense, they need playmakers. They need guys that opposing offensive coordinators know, all right, we, we gotta, we gotta know where this guy is because he might wreck our game plan. Um, they don't, they don't really have a lot of those guys right now. I mean, they have some guys that could be, I mean, Shai Tuttle's a guy that could be some guys off the edge, Daryl Taylor. They have the potential to be those guys, um, but they need more of them. And I think Theo Jackson could be one. I, I think he's going to, you know, it wouldn't surprise me to see him push to be a starting safety. Um, yeah, Mike Abernathy needs to have a good offseason. Yeah, I mean, Abernathy's a guy that uh, has not played as well as he did when he first was a starter, and he's going to have to pick it up or he's going to lose his job. Um, guy on offense, I'm trying to think. I, I, it's hard to know about the offensive line because it's such a, you know, you need film. It's a group. Yeah, yeah, you need that, and it's a it's a group. So, I mean, one guy could play perfect. Four guys could play perfect on one play, but if one guy messes up, the whole offensive line looks bad. But I just think the spring was really important for Jerome Carvin because um, I think he looks part as an SEC offensive lineman, even though he's still supposed to be in high school. Yeah, big kid. Um, and, and he was getting first-team work with uh, right guard, I think. I think they want him at tackle probably long-term, but he's a guy that's – I mean, even if he doesn't wind up starting, even if they get Trey Smith back between now and the start of the season – Carvin's a guy that's probably going to be one of your first two or three guys off the bench. Um, and so just this spring, chance for him to get in there and get a bunch of reps and get a bunch of, of looks against SEC veteran defensive linemen, even though Tennessee's defensive line isn't an elite group by any stretch. I think that's going to be really good for him, both in the short term and in the long term. I think those are good suggestions. Um, I'm not going to say Josh Palmer because I think he's been a guy who's established as with Garantano as they got a pretty good rapport there. Uh, I do think I'll, I'll mention a couple guys. One, the buff hamster, Timmy Jordan, I think helped his uh, cause yes. in the game. He I didn't take him because I knew you would. And he was going against the first-team defense too, and he had um, he had an average of 6.3 yards per carry, nine carries, 57 yards, and a touchdown. Uh, was never tackled in the backfield and made – uh, when he turned the corner there for that 30-yard run, he looked a little bit John Kelly-ish right there, running angry, you know. He had one of those, like, stiff arms where he was, like, trying to throw a guy off of him. Yeah, and he was just – very John Kelly-ish. I mean, to me, he just – when he turned the corner and he just looks like a guy who just followed that John Kelly blueprint about how you turn the corner and get going up and up and down the field. I, I like what I saw from him. And I think I said on Facebook Live that 
uh, when we would ask John Kelly last year about some of these, because they had three freshman running backs, and he was sort of the, their their older brother of sorts, uh, he always was like, that dude runs really physical talking about Tim Jordan. So, and, and, and the coaches thought he reminded them a little bit of Kelly in the recruiting yeah. process. Yeah. So, so he's a guy that's maybe a little bit bigger, a little bit bulkier than Ty Chandler. Um, I, I, again, I don't, I, don't, I don't read much into what Pruitt's been saying about the running back sort of town playing that Ty Chandler can be a, a feature back in this offense. I think he absolutely can because I think he's a really good player. Yeah, and Chandler wasn't bad either. He had a 53 yards and a touchdown on 11 carries, an average of 4.8 a carry. There's nothing wrong with that. But uh, since, you, since we've both mentioned offense and defense, I will throw out there uh, that I think uh, Brent Samaglia helped his cause a lot. Kickers today. are people too. I love it. Hey, and you know what? When was the last time – in any kind of a scrimmage or game atmosphere that a Tennessee kicker had two attempts beyond 40 yards and made both of them in the same scrimmage slash game. Been a while since we've seen that. That was, that was nails from, from some that, that, that was, that was in a game like environment, you know, kind of being rushed out there to do it like he would in a game. I thought he could have been a little better off the tee, but I thought, I thought for the most part, uh, for for field goal kicking, I thought he was good. Paxton Brooks, the freshman punter, had a rough start and then looked better toward the end. Although none of those guys are Trevor Daniel, and you're just going to have to get used to that. But uh, I, I thought that 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 Samaglia really helped his cause. Yeah, I think Brooks also. <laughs> he was probably pretty nervous. I mean, he's kicked in Neyland Stadium before, and he might be six foot six and eighty two pounds. He's very he very much looks like J.K. Scott, Alabama's kicker. He who is his Alabama J.K. Scott his freshman year. They played at Tennessee, and he hit a punt. And or actually, in that game, I think he was just bombing it. And I was like, "This is the best punt I've ever seen in my life. He's better than Trevor Daniel." Yeah, I think. And, if- and Brooks is built the same way, like all arms, all legs, pretty much a skeleton, and about six six. And uh, he had he had. I think his last punt today was probably his best one. He he got a hold of that one pretty good. Yeah, like if it's really windy day outside, I think they're gonna have to. You almost have to bolt him down to make sure he doesn't just like fly away. That is a skinny 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 kid but uh, after after a rough start he did well but i thought samaglia had a had a nice day I, I thought he i thought he did some good things just my opinion but you know what do i know right pat not a whole lot Wes. i agree with that guys thanks for tuning in today we will be back next week as always remember just because spring practice is over doesn't mean the coverage is over. We'll be there on GoBalls247.com for tons of recruiting coverage all summer long. We'll monitor the team's progress as best we can. Uh, they, they kind of closed ranks a little bit in a lot of that, but we will be there pestering them, getting information for you, and we'll have some recruiting information, and we'll have all sorts of uh, all sorts of uh, looking back at the spring and looking forward to preseason camp. And, and just remember, this is Tennessee – So it's never slow. Something will happen. Something always happens. I'm guessing there'll be some big, big news around the 1st of June when we're getting married. I think that's probably when a lot of stuff will hit the fan. And if I'm in St. Lucia on the beach and that happens, you know what? I'm I'm not helping. I'm just throwing that out there. Based on Pruitt's comments today, it sounds like some guys are going to be transferred after the spring semester. (laughs) That's probably true. Aside from that, Pat, any final thoughts? Nope.